Welcome to The Big Break Show, a podcast where we discuss short-term rentals, entrepreneurship, life, mindset, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Rob Loza and Jesse Vasquez. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of our beautiful show, The Big Break Show. This is episode number eight with my co-host, Mr. Jesse Vasquez. What's up, amigo? Numero ocho. Yes, ocho sir. Yes, cinco. Sir. No, just Ocho. What's up, man? <laughs> I'm super pumped about our show today, man. We have Mark Andre, who's mm-hmm. a longtime real estate investor. This dude is an entrepreneur, and he actually owns vending machines. And I'm, I'm not just talking about one or two. This guy actually has a legit business based off of vending machines, which is really cool. We kind of did a deep dive onto this because, Rafa, you and I, that was one of the first things I ever thought about with entrepreneurship is like, man, it'd be cool to have a vending machine. So we actually get to hear how he breaks that down and works with it and makes it something profitable. Yeah, dude, I'm super excited because that wasn't even the intention when I asked him to come on. So I've been talking to him for a while on Instagram and stuff like that. We connected. Super helpful, dude. Awesome, humble guy. And I knew him as like a wholesaler. Like he does wholesaling. He teaches a class on wholesaling. He helps people wholesale. He does big things out in Atlanta as a wholesaler. And I, I follow him on Instagram. I'm like, man, this dude's doing good stuff. And then I was like, hey, come on the show. Let's talk. Let's have a conversation. I saw he was, he was doing vending machines. And I'm like, hey, let's let's ask him about the vending machine. And the entire episode ended up being about the vending machine world. And it kind of blew my mind because I was like, wow, there's a lot, a lot here. So I'm really excited for everybody to listen to this episode because we do. We do a serious deep dive. We go into details. I mean, we talk about what the best chips are to, to purchase and sell and where to put them and hot like Cheetos. what level. Yeah, hot Cheetos, Cheez-Its, <laughs> right? Like he goes into the details of like the level of like the eye level on what row to put in the machines. And I was like, that's a whole science, man. He's got it broken down. So I'm excited. I'm excited. Me too, man. I like how he breaks down the economic science behind putting certain vending machines in certain areas, depending on the demographic of people, just like what we do with everything, right? Economics. So it's pretty cool. Take a listen, you guys. I think you're going to be excited about this one. Yep. Mark, welcome to the show, my friend. Cool, Mark. So, man, thank you for being here today. Um, We're really excited to have this conversation with you. I know we're going to get into some uh, really good topics uh, with uh, investments, uh, being a business owner and um, vending machines, right? And a little bit of wholesaling at the end there, hopefully, if we have some time about it. Uh, Mark, thanks for being here, man. We really appreciate it. Um, You know, Happy New Year to you. Hope you and your family had a good one. Uh, But yeah, everybody, we have Mark here, uh, Mark Andre, who has a vending machine business, and he also handles wholesaling. Um, so I wanted to, Mark, tell us a little bit about yourself, man, how you got started, how you got into entrepreneurship, what you do. Uh, I also wanted to, we'll, we'll dive into this a little bit, but tell us what you do now, what you have going on. Awesome. Awesome. Well, first and foremost, thank you gentlemen for having me. I'm super, super humbled to be on your show. I think it's a phenomenal thing and I'm rocking with y'all from day one, all the way to the end. So, so thanks again. Appreciate that. Uh, yeah. So my name is Mark Andre. Um, I run a wholesale investment company. We also have a vending machine business. Um, I'm originally from Trinidad and Tobago, uh, was born in Brooklyn, New York. Um, believe it or not, but I know nothing, nothing of Brooklyn. My mom was actually, uh, you know, vacationing. Um, and, uh, I grew up in Trinidad for the majority of my, uh, adolescence, uh, moved to Atlanta, Georgia, well, Woodstock, Georgia in 1998, I believe. And, uh, been here ever since. Um, I originally started, uh, my entrepreneurship journey, Um, actually just, you know, trying to find ways of getting out of the rat race, right? So I'm not one of those stories where I've always been an entrepreneur or, you know, I've started young. I mean, I did, 
used to sell uh, video games um, when I was in school. So that might help. Right. And I'm going to age myself. Um, I used to charge a quarter to play my Game Boy. So, okay. Right. So, that, so you've that, been an entrepreneur your whole life then. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's I, that's being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I got a Game Boy one Christmas and I took it to school and I was just charging people, you know, 25 cents a game. I can't even remember what the game was. But, you know, so I've always kind of had that 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 idea of buying and selling um, or, you know, being able to, to earn my own income. Right. Um, but I went through the whole college. Uh, I went through corporate America. I did that for a little over a decade. And then I realized um, that, you know, it just wasn't for me. I wasn't, I wasn't fulfilling myself um, of what I wanted to do. You know, I have two kids and it was taken away a lot from, you know, what they were doing on a day-to-day basis. And I would just be working, working, working. So I had to figure something out. Um, my mom one day uh, bought a, a course from Ron Legrand. You guys remember him? If you know him, I don't. If you don't, I don't. Look him up. Who's He's that? real old school wholesaler. This was back when you had infomercials, you know, at the end, uh, like two o'clock in the morning, he'd be sitting on his chair in front of the, you know, the beach in the background and the lighting was great. And he was talking about, oh, how this freedom. And, you know, they have the 12 the hair was going. Yeah, the hair was going. Um, <laughs> and he would sell you, you know, this five course, 12 DVD package. Um, so she bought it. VHS, and, uh, bro. What are you talking about? DVD. I know, right? I know. No, this, this is a little past VHS days, but I'm sure he had a VHS version. Uh, but yeah, so I, that was kind of like my first, um, you know, start at, you know, learning a business that would, you know, take me on my journey. And uh, from there, I didn't quite fully get through all of it, but it started the spark. And so, you know, I started researching real estate and I started researching the different avenues into real estate and uh, found my niche of wholesaling. And that's kind of how I started the journey. And so I did that, believe it or not, part time for six years. Uh, before I was able to go off on my own. And um, corporate America was kind of on its last leg. Um, I retired. Well, I tried to retire. I was too young. They didn't allow it. But um, so, you know, I I put in my resignation or whatever. And then February 14th, Valentine's Day was my last day ever working for somebody. And so, you know, I've been doing this now full time for we're going on our third year. Um, And last year uh, we bought a vending business. um, And so that's kind of how I started with that. Um, And we'll dive into that a little bit more. But, um, you know, it's one of those things where you just kind of like you don't know it fully. Um, but I'm a full believer in moving forward in fear, um, whether I'm feared or, you know, whether I'm scared or not, we, you know, we still push forward because for me, it's not about a loss. It's a lesson. Right. So I'm like, I'll just figure it out. So, you know, that's kind of how I, how I started and where I am now. You you know what, Mark, I love the story, but there's something that, that you said about moving in fear. I, I, this, I just, you know, as you know, I went to, to Tennessee this past weekend and I went rock climbing for the first time. It's a gym, obviously. It's not like out in the wild or whatever, but um, I got to the top and it was scary, dude. And I know I'm harnessed in. Right. And um, my and one of my like my third attempt or something, I there was this really hard part on this wall and I'm super scared to move up. And I'm like, dude, if I, like I'm going to hurt myself. Like I'm going to fall any shit or something. Right. And I said, you know what? If I fail at this, it's going to be failing because I tried, even though I was scared, not because I quit. Right. And I got past that fear of like, hey, I got to I got to try this. Right. Is that is that similar here to what, what, what you're doing? here? 100 percent. See, my thing is, you know, you can never fully grasp a concept 
before you try it, right? You can try to research it as much as you can. You can try to figure out, but there's just so many unknowns in any avenue, in any business that you that you venture into, you're just not going to know everything. And a lot of people, they struggle getting past that point because they're just trying to learn every single thing they possibly can, trying to figure out every scenario, trying to you know calculate every equation. And it, it's just not a good thing to do to move forward or to even jump in. So at, at some point, you're just going to have to say, you know what? F it. I'll figure it out. Let's dive straight in. And that's what we did. I mean, I knew nothing about vending machines, um, maybe 30 days prior. Yeah. Vending machines, man, that's something, you know, you also said something right there in your previous statement. You knew the exact day you were leaving. Yeah. You, you left your job. I remember that day, too. And, you know, one of the weird things, people tend to remember days that have emotional attachment to them. Like, I could yeah. probably ask you guys, uh, what were you doing on 9-11? You'll probably be like, there's an emotional attachment, right? We saw yeah. what happened. I know what I was doing, but I always hear entrepreneurs bring the exact date up that they left the W-2 job. I bring that up all the time because there's a significance where I was in my brain where I'm like, I'm just done doing this. Like today's the date and it's done. Absolutely. Yeah. And I agree. I agree a hundred percent. I think that, you know, for me it was calculated, but it, it I call it bittersweet because, you know, sweet being Valentine's Day and bitter being that I was leaving behind a past that I knew that was like my only thing. You know, we grew up knowing you, you go to college, you get a job, you work your 40 years, you retire. Right. That was all that I knew um, as far as the only way to bring income in. So, you know, it's just one of those things that was definitely a changing point in my life. Yeah. L let's talk about. So you said you grew up in Trinidad. Um, so is that what you were taught? as a child to basically learn to work and then work to learn? Like, is that what you, you go 40 years, you work, you retire at 65 or whatever it is. Is that, what was that like growing up in Trinidad and what was it like coming here? And was there like that shift in experience where you're like, this is my life before and here's my, you know, the land of opportunity. Did, did something like that happen to you or a shift in mindset at all? Um, I think, so let me just say this. Uh, I want to big up all the massive Chinese watching Trinidad massive, right? So what <laughs> what I what I like to say is a lot of people I would say that I've met that I've come across, the majority of people that are international, it's just a different way of life, right? We do not have as many opportunities as there are in more developed countries. Trinidad is considered a third world country and there's a lot of poverty there. Not saying that America doesn't have poverty, but there is a lot of self-awareness. There is a lot of I have to get it right? I have to go out there and I have to get it. Nothing is being given to me. So I think that for the majority of people that are outside of America kind of have to fight for themselves, right? And if you notice when you travel outside of the country, I don't know if you guys travel a lot, but you'll know that there are a lot of entrepreneurs who don't even realize that they're entrepreneurs. If you have a fruit stand because you grow you know, fruits in your backyard, you're an entrepreneur because you have a product and you're bringing it to the masses. And really that's your income. So I think that was embedded right in me from the very beginning, but if there wasn't a click, um, there wasn't a switch when I came to America. Um, I was super disappointed, but at the same token, you know, it is what it is, right? Um, it wasn't my first choice, uh, but my mom had, you know, a whole other vision for me. Um, and for us, it was just, you know, I grew up, single child, single parent. So, you know, I understand her vision now as I'm older and that I have children. 
Um, but yeah, no, Trinidad really kind of groomed me into, you know, being the type of person that I am and the go-getter that I have and the, you know, positive attitude and, you know, move in fear, that sort of thing. Those were instilled um, in me in the beginning. As far as entrepreneurship, I think the click for that was when I realized I had to keep asking permission to take vacation or I had to, you know, I couldn't move in, in the freedom that I have now, um, then, and I think it started to eat at me and eat at me and eat at me. And I realized that, you know, growing this corporate ladder, or as I used to call it, you know, corporate lattice, cause it's not just a ladder, it's a lattice, right? It just wasn't for me. It, it wasn't for me anymore. It was at the beginning, but it just, it just started fading away. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes complete sense. And I think that if you're anything like me or maybe Rafa, like I've always liked to do my own thing. You know, yeah. and I think that a lot of times entrepreneurs, they just like doing their own thing. If I want to take time off, you know, Rafa and I had these conversations multiple times. Dude was in Nashville for, what, six, seven days. Like, he just take off, do his thing, his business is running. You know, when you work in a corporate world, you can't necessarily do all those things. So I 100%, Mark, agree with you in that sense. So that kind of takes us back now. So what age did you come, did you come to the States? How old were you? So I was 15 years old. Right. So this is 98. I'm aging myself. But it's so funny. We start school at two years old in Trinidad. Not five. Right. So when you go into what is it, pre-K now in kindergarten, you know, at that age, I was already reading, doing math. I mean, we started. So I had an earlier start, not saying that the education is better or worse. We just start earlier. So at 15 years old, I was already college material, college student material. And so, and a lot of people who see this are going to realize that, you know, at that age, I lied, right? Um, but I came to America at 15 years old in 1998. I could not go to college because the GED requirement needed me to take your U.S. history, your American literature, your American, all of these U.S. related subjects. So I had to go to school for one year. So I, I was a senior, the only senior who rode the bus, <laughs> the only senior who couldn't buy cigarettes, right, legally, the only senior who had friends that were freshmen and sophomores because, you know, they were my age. Um, and so I had freshman, sophomore, junior, senior classes, and I was also in AP classes. I was in AP calculus, AP English, you know, like what? Um, and and that's, that's how I started. So I was a 16-year-old freshman in college. That's pretty badass. That's pretty badass. So, so what, what got you turned on to, or turned into, um, you know, the vending machine. So I, I want to take this back a second because my first thought of getting into entrepreneurs, that was the first thing that I started thinking about. Like literally I was like, I'm going to buy vending machines and I'm going to get into vending machines. And there's, you know, there's probably going to be a ton of money in that. And that was, that was my first kind of like little glimmer of entrepreneurship and a way that I could potentially, potentially actually do it. And for it to actually make sense where I can go on Craigslist, buy a vend vending machine and put it up in a certain place. But when I started looking into it, there was restrictions with, you know, actually getting into buying and placing those into a specific area. So tell me how you actually got into vending machines, how many you own now, what that looks like, um, the income that comes in, you know, those types of things. So that people that are looking at getting having a, a secondary hustle or even making this like a full time type thing, I'm sure it started off as a side hustle. Um, how that progressed and what that actually looks like now. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I think it starts with me wanting to convert active income into passive income, 
right? So reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, reading, um, you know, the books that kind of teach you about the quadrant, right? You know, the four, I think it's the SI, you know, I can't remember what it is, but basically it's, you know, I was trading my time for money, right? And so you had to come up with different ways of how do I convert active income into passive income? And there's several ways out there, um, each one having its own barrier of entry, meaning the cost to start, right? Um, I looked at ATM machines, which, to be honest, I still have, right, as an idea. I would I would prefer to bank with an ATM than bank in a regular bank. Um, but I looked at vending machines and I said, okay, well, vending machines, you know, it's it's like $1,200, $1,500 to get in for a used or refurbished machine. You want to buy it new, it's like three grand. Um, but, you know, I had to figure out, okay, well, what kind of return am I going to get on my investment, right? What kind of cash flow is that going to bring in? How much work is it going to involve? And I started doing some research and I found out that with vending machines, you, you can re you can really, uh, recoup all of your money in like a three to six month period, right? Um, no matter how many vending machines you buy, um, it's really all about the location and the traffic, because at the end of the day, you're flipping snacks, you're flipping, you know, um, uh, you know, your products. And so that's kind of how I, my, my niche of starting to look into, you know, getting in vending machines. You know, you said something interesting and I want to keep going into this vending machine conversation because I'm super interested about it because I think it goes hand in hand with with what I do or with what we do with short term rentals. Right. Like I've always wanted to put one at some of my locations because I control a building and I can put a vending machine and generate extra revenue. I just never actually did the math or or thought about anything. And you said it, it costs anywhere to what? Twelve hundred to up to three K brand new and you can get it back in six months. And it like that's that's a really good return. Right. For somebody who's starting off, who's like brand new, says, hey, I got a couple of grand. Usually the biggest question is, how, how how much money do I need to start a short term rental? And I'm like, well, you can probably do it with like anywhere from five to 15, depending on the customer you're serving, the location, the size of the place, whatever it is. But for people listening, this is like, wow, it's a very good like what if you start with one? Let's say it's somebody in their point in life that are brand new. They want to start investing and they go, hey, I only got three grand sitting around or I've been saving two grand for the last couple months or the last year. And I want to put this money to work to eventually maybe get into wholesaling or real estate or short-term rentals. Right. And you can start off with one, right. And you put in the 1500 bucks and in six months you have your 1500 bucks back. And then this other six months you make another 1500 bucks, but at that six month mark, you buy a second one. Right. And you can scale. And by the time you have 10, you might be able to get that revenue and maybe go into something different or maybe even scale it, which leads me to the question, how, how scalable is this business before we go into the location part of things? Or maybe should we talk about the how you find locations before you scale it? Because I want to know about both of those. We'll go hand in hand. We could talk about either one. It's very scalable. Just to answer your question, it's extremely scalable. Um, obviously, processes, automation, all that stuff, you know, you have to figure out. Um, but how do you get into it? So, again, i fresh on it, right? I just did a little research, YouTube videos, right? Um, I literally said, okay, today is the day I'm going to go find a machine. And I literally Googled, you know, vending operators, vending machine operators, or I think I did even just vending machines and my city, which was Atlanta, Georgia. And the way I have my Google results, and this is a, this is a tip for anyone out there who, who does a lot of Google searches, you want to change your Google filter to not only just show 10, you know, usually when you Google, it just gives you 10 and then you have to go to the next page. So I've removed that entirely. So now I literally have hundreds and I'm just scrolling and it helps me because, you know, as humans, we have this this like short attention span. 
right? And so if we don't find it on the first page or the second page, we're like, oh, it's not there. But that's not true, right? There are several pages at the bottom of your Google search results. I mean, sometimes hundreds of thousands of search results, but really no one has the time to do that. So what I did is I removed that. And I literally exported all of the results and I went line by line, phone number by phone number, and I called each one of those people. And I was able to find the operators that are in my city. I was able to find repairmen that were in my city. And I was able to find people who were selling machines. And this is in addition to Craigslist. This is in addition to OfferUp. I think there was the company that OfferUp bought. I can't remember what their search was. Um, but yeah, so you have to go out there. It's like a short-term rental, right? You have to do the due diligence ahead of time. It's the harder part setting it up. But once you get it set up and you have that kind of that model built out, then you can go about scaling because then it's a lot easier to do it. But uh, but yeah, that's all I did. And I found um, someone who was willing to sell uh, a machine and uh, we talked and come to find out this guy actually owned several at several locations. So I literally went from searching for one vending machine to buying his company, which is crazy. Right. But it's it's again that moving in fear, like for one, I knew nothing about vending machines. I didn't even buy just one. I bought a freaking company. Do you think that your ba background with wholesaling, because I know wholesaling has to do with a lot of cold calling and being uncomfortable. Was that, did that play in part with, because even just the fact of you s saying like, I got a little scared. I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that where I have to pick up the phone and start calling people randomly. Right. And trust me, I, I, I've done, I did collections for a very long time. I'm used to calling people, but even at that point, you're like still just the weight of the phone and picking up. Like it's one of the reasons why I kind of don't want to get into wholesaling as well, because I don't like doing the cold calling thing. It's like not my strong suit. Do you think that, had to do with the fact that you're like, hey, I'm, I'm comfortable with this because I've done this in the past. Absolutely. Absolutely. If if now here's the thing, I would say this, it would not have prevented me from doing it because that's just in my nature. But it definitely helped me get over that hump of, oh, my gosh, I'm going to talk to this person. I know nothing about it. Only what I've seen. What are they going to think of me? Yada, yada, yada. You know, we come up with all kinds of excuses on our own. So, yeah, it definitely helped. That, that was actually going to be my next point I was going to bring up, too, because I was like, it's those preset notions or those preset, like, uh, those outlooks of specific, I don't know what the word is, but when you think of something that hasn't happened yet, like, well, what if this person doesn't like me? Or what if these people are going to get mad that I'm asking a stupid question? Or what if, you know, there's always a what if, right? There's always a what if. So, so let me ask you another question really quick then, because you, you said you were looking to buy one, you bought one and you ended up buying an entire company. Like, how did that look? Because you go from one vending machine to try to learn it, but then all of a sudden, like you have like, what, how, how many, how, can I ask how many did you get? So we now have 10 machines, um, at six locations. And so part of, part of that is, you know, again, just doing the math, right? So when you look at whether it's a rental property, whether you look at a short-term rental, you're going to look at, okay, what am I going to start with, right? What are my expenses going to be? What are, what are my additional expenses that I don't think about are going to be? And then how much cash can I generate? And you can never quite tell, but I would say for anybody out there who's looking to get into this business, what you want to look at is, you know, obviously they're going to have to have bank statements. They're going to have to show gross sales. They're going to have to show deposits. This is a cash-based business um, aside from the electronic um, card machines that will actually have printouts of the sales and stuff like that. But it's a cash deposit business. So you have to then calculate what this company's or this person's cash deposits over a period of time. Um, 
and and then you kind of figure out, okay, so this is my gross revenue. Now I'm going to minus my expenses, which you're going to have to then figure out yourself. You're going to have to go into Costco. If you don't have a Costco membership, you're going to have to go into BJ's, go into Sam's, right? Or even freaking Walmart grocery stores. See, you know, what are the costs for these, uh, these products and these bulk items? Um, you're also going to have to look at, you know, the size of machine that you're getting, right? There are four Ys, there are five Ys, there are, you know, machines that hold 180 plus products. I mean, you have, have different size machines. You have these super sexy, which I don't really like, combo machines. Um, and I'll tell you why I don't like them later on. But you know, you have to figure out, okay, what type of machine am I buying? What's the total amount of products it can hold? What can I charge for each product? You know, each row is considered its own, like let's say rental property, right? So if this lane's gonna be snacks and I'm gonna charge a dollar fifty, I can hold, you know, so many of these. How quick is it gonna turn over? There's so many things that you can kind of try to quantify but again you won't realize it because it also depends on the location and the people buying the products so okay i, I wanted to ask you some of the data key points to, to to talk about and you just dropped a bunch of them so yeah. which is great because i'm definitely gonna go back and re-listen to this because it's something i've always wanted to do you, you so first the first thing you're looking at is the cost of the machine right correct and then you're looking at how much you can make now how do you compare that like what what's a comp for that like would you go to like other vending machines and go hey the chips here are selling for 250 or like do you just mark it up what you think is a good price like how, how does that look so the way i was taught or the way i learned on my own was that you want to have you know a a three x rate of return right so if i'm going to charge a dollar fifty for let's say a bag of chips I want to be able to get that under 50 cents, right? I want to be able to get that. So then I'm going to look at, okay, well, if I'm going to buy 30 bags or, or, or 30 count of chips, how much is it going to cost me per chip, right? That's one way. You can't necessarily look like look at a comp that you would in real estate only because, for one, if it's location specific, so let's say if it's at a hotel, you're going to have different people coming at your machine every single time, right? You can charge more for convenience, if you're out in the middle of nowhere, right, and there is no gas station or no store, you can kind of upcharge. And typically at hotels, we have a higher price point. Um, but you want to look at, you know, number of employees for locations. So there's there's not really, to answer your question, you can't necessarily look at a comp. You have to kind of look at the location specific and you have to, you know, you'd want to ask the owners about foot traffic and stuff like that. Um, but if it's like a warehouse of 100 employees, we typically now only go into or only want to go into warehouses that are 175 to 100 minimum um, number of employees, because that just for me is the traffic that I'm looking for for my business. Yeah. You know, I actually have a question on that now. So, I mean, we're, we're living in the age of tech, right? So are there vending machines now that will send you basically like a text and be like, Mark, dude, you're low on, you know, Pepsi now. Or do you have to actually have somebody going in there? and literally looking at it, or is there like literally devices that can, you know, are smart devices that you can allow yourself to run your business and not necessarily be there checking up on things on a regular basis? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there's devices for everything nowadays, right? Um, so you have, you can have your digital devices that are cardless. Um, we use pay range on all of ours. Um, there's NIAX. Um, there's tons of other different uh, devices out there that can actually track not only your credit card transactions or your Apple Pay or Google Pay or what have you, but also your cash transactions as well. And they tie into each row, each section of the vending machine. So I can easily pull a report and I do this almost every week. I pull a report and I can see what has sold versus what hasn't sold. And I'm able to then go and, you know, if if I don't have it in inventory, I can purchase it ahead of time. That way I'm also, you know, 
minimizing my length of time at each because I really had this broken down to a science. Like, uh, you know, when I did the research on the ATM machines, logistics was a big thing for me. And so, you know, I look at where my locations are. You know, I look at all, how, also how long it takes me per location, um, all that time, because I want my time back, right? I don't want to be spending all day long um, going to these machines. And I do still refill all of my machines. We don't have enough where I would need to hire because then that's going to take away from my profit. So I still do uh, stack and fill all of my machines. Okay, so first question: Do hot Cheetos sell more than everything else? <laughs> That's what I want to know. I only ask because I went to Amarjay's apartment building out of Texas, and the hot Cheetos were always sold out. So okay, all right. So how can I say this to be politically correct? Um, it depends on the demographic of your location. I went to the mall the other day, and I was trying to buy a water bottle, and there's no like, no, dude. I was like. I need to get a vending machine at this place because every vending machine at the mall was sold out of waters and I couldn't get a water at a restaurant for the life of me. Like I had to go inside and sit down test for a glass of water. I'm like, dude, like I'm, I'm shopping for four hours right before Christmas. And I'm like, like, what's going on? Like, I want a, a bottle of water, which is my next question, though, is is, is the, the chips and like snacks better than the waters, sodas, Gatorades, all of that stuff? It depends on location. It depends on location. Like right now I have a warehouse um, that I have both a snack and a drink machine. The drink machine does terrible. I'll be honest with you. It's terrible. It, it, <laughs> it's terrible. The snack machine, however, does phenomenal. So it, it kind of balances out for that one specific location because then I also track, not only do I track per machine, but I track per location if we have multiple machines at the location because I want to make sure that my numbers are right, right? I want to stay at a certain percentage. So what we have to do is then you have to test the market. Right. So with if you look at a grocery store, right, let's just say that, for instance, right, when you walk down one aisle, there are certain products that are eye level. There are certain products that are on the top shelves and then there are certain products that are on the bottom shelves. That is by design. Right. Your your highest grossing, not highest selling, but your highest grossing products, you want ease of access. Right. So typically when you go to a vending machine, you'll notice that the big bag of chips are usually at the very top. And then you have, you know, your mini snacks and then your your candies and then, you know, potentially pastries at the bottom or something like that. Right. You'll have those um, at different placements because natural human behavior is we graduate to the very top. Right. We always start at the top and then look down. Right. It's how we read. So you want to make sure you're placing your products. And that is also a big thing, too, because. Not only is it location specific, right, as to your customers, but it's how you place it. Like I've tested things out where I've put, you know, famous Amos cookies on the third row versus the bottom row. And then they sell, they sell better than having them in the bottom row with the same demographic of people at, at that location. So you have to really test. Um, and one of the things you want to also do is you know, there is also a shelf life for everything that you're purchasing, right? Drinks kind of last a little bit longer, but there is a shelf life. So when you get to a point where you're like, okay, I only have like two weeks left on the shelf life, this thing hasn't sold. Let me try moving this up or let me move this over some, or, you know, let me try to see if in a different location it'll sell. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. I never really thought about the demographic of, of people that are going to be eating a specific thing. So basically what you're Basically, what you're saying, man, is I can find the most hipster spot, sell kombucha, have a hipster freaking uh, vending machine that has, what's another hipster meal? I don't know, LaCroix sodas and like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like shit like that, that people are going to be like, and I never really thought about it like that before. So 
that's kind of cool that you've, you know, turned it into a science and that's just basic economics. Like if we think about it, it really is. So that's, that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Let me ask you another question. Cause I'm, I'm super intrigued by this because there's vending machines for everything now. Right. Like, I mean, you can go like at the airport, they have vending machines for like, I, I was Stop walking down. Um, yeah. It was like, yeah. Like, dude, no, they were selling like wallets. Um, iPads. Yeah. iPads. Um, they were selling uh, like all kinds of, and I'm like, like, and it was like, a, oh, you know what? The Best Buy vending machines, right? Have you seen those? Yes. And I'm like, okay. So there's like the coffee vending. Like I'm walking down. Um, I went to, there's this big hotel in Tennessee we just went to. And they had coffee machines. I'm like, they get coffee here. And I walk up and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get a Starbucks coffee. And nope, they had a little, you got to insure your card. And I'm like, oh, this is a coffee vending. And it was just a little like espresso machine. Yeah. Yeah. You see, what COVID did is it kind of benefited vending machines and vending machine companies, right? Because a lot of your hotels, a lot of places that did your, you know, your grand breakfast, your, your, what is it called? Your buffet style, all of that completely shut out. So when you have locations that have vending machines, the vending machine sales grew because the hotel or the location didn't provide that, you know, anymore. Um, and none of them, um, at least the ones that I'm in have even returned to buffet style breakfast. Dude, I have the, I have the best idea right now. A vending, a vending machine that sells COVID tests. Billion there's, dollar idea. There's right already there. them. They're already there. Oh, they're already there. It. Yeah, yeah, they're already. But great idea. Great the problem idea. would be keeping them stocked. They're sold That's out the everywhere. Problem. That's the problem. So I actually saw when COVID first hit, um, and we even wanted to implement this into our our business, but we ended up not doing it. I, I well, I did slightly, but not so much the tests. Um, we saw a lot of mask vending machines or vending machines that sold masks pop up. Um, you know, and all your hand sanitizers and stuff like that. Right. So at our hotel location, I do like toothpaste and toothbrush. I do hand sanitizer. I do sandy wipes. I do makeup wipes, you know, those sort of things, because I figure, okay, one, Mr. And Mr. Hotel, what do you guys offer as part of the, you know, the freebies when they check in? Oh, that's all you offer. Okay, great. So now I know I can offer anything else that I believe to be, you know, a necessity. So like things like Tylenol, you know, all that sort of stuff. And again, it's again, location specific. I'll ask you a question though. And I want to take it back like before, cause we're getting into like the details and, and like the nitty gritty of like everything, because the first question I wanted to ask you was, did you ever think about getting outside of like chips and soda? And you just said you did, but how, I, I, before we go to that and the, I, how was the conversation that you had with the guy that sold you the business? Like, how did that, I want to know, like how, if I was listening to you, just how was it? Like, hey, that was a, that's a really good, yeah, that's a really good question. So obviously, like I said, initially I was calling looking for vending machine. Um, and, and I was open, you know, being, it was my first time I was open. Like for me, especially in real estate, I, I take that, that realistic or that genuine approach. Like, um, cause I did it both ways. Um, I did the whole, you know, this is Mark Andre from, you know, down investments and, uh, you know, uh, what, right. And, you know, my, 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 my analyst and the, nah, fuck all that. Right. Um, so I just go in and say, Hey, you know, I'm a local investor. Um, you know, I'm looking to buy, you know, two or three houses in this neighborhood on this street. You know, we bought the, you know, that sort of thing. So it's the same approach I took with vending. I called and I said, Hey, you know, I'm looking to get into the vending business. Um, you know, I'm not that skilled. Um, I, I don't know too much about it, but you know, I, I want to, I want to purchase a machine and place it somewhere. And it turned into a conversation where he realized how new I was. So it almost became a coaching call for me for this particular guy. Other people were kind of shutting it down. No, either we don't offer it or, you know, you're wasting my time or yeah, we have them. They're, you know, two grand. And at that time I was like, no, I'm not spending two grand. Thank you for your time. Right. 
Um, or I think I even tried to negotiate, you know, real estate. Right. Um, and it was still nothing. But no, this particular guy, he realized that I was green and whether he saw it as an opportunity to get out the business or he saw it as an opportunity to sell, you know, his business for more or less than what somebody may have paid for. I don't know. Um, but he really started giving me gems on the phone and actually teaching me a little bit about the business. And so I felt comfortable with him um, kind of sharing more and more. And as we continue to talk, I mean, this this lasted, I want to say, weeks. Like, So we actually were on the phone and we would talk every three days or so um, to a point where he realized I was super serious and he actually took me out on his routes. And that's how I got to learn even more. And then after doing all of that, looking at the locations, looking at the machines, and again, I don't know much about it, but I'm still visually seeing, okay, this machine looks okay. You know, there's nothing terrible with it sort of stuff is what led me to actually say, you know what, I think I'm going to go ahead and make you an offer. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. That is, that's badass, man. So he basically mentored you into knowing that specific type of line of work. You didn't know much about it. So are you going to stay, are, are you going to continue to scale this business? And what does it actually look like to, um, you know, like how much money can you earn in, you know, with 10 vending machines, you know, break it down like one to 10. I mean, what does that look like? And how are you able to scale that? So you, you can definitely scale it. So the one thing I want to, I want to stress here is that it is not going to be like that from the beginning, right? Just like in short-term rental, just like, you know, I don't know about rental properties, but just for short-term rentals, you know, you're not going to get that massive influx of people, you know, booking your stuff or buying your products. So there is a curve, right? Um, it's sort of exponential. Um, but you want to, the goal is really to have a machine that's going to generate about eight to a thousand dollars net per machine per location, right? That's the goal. Eight to a thousand. Is that, right? is that yearly or what are we talking? No, that is monthly. That's the goal. That's the goal. That's not, that's not actuals, but that is the goal. So what's realistic, you, realistic, you're about five to six maybe five to eight, depending on the, the month, the you know time of year, location. Because some, like my warehouse, the majority of people were out on Christmas vacation, holiday vacation. So we, we saw a dip in sales, that sort of thing. But the goal is you want to average at least about five to, to, to six uh, actual, and you want to push for eight to a thousand. When we first did these machines, they were doing you know three or four or whatever, because again, this guy was, he's been in it 25 years. He didn't do, you know, market research. He didn't test around products. He had it just, it was just so automatic for him. He would just load. He knew exactly what to buy without even looking at the machine. He didn't even tap into to any type of, um, you know, uh, automated systems. He didn't tap into any type of electronic devices or anything like that. You know, he was just like, okay, this machine's going to need, you know, four cases of Mountain Dew because I'm always putting Mountain Dew or whatever. And that's just kind of how he did it. And the way he was doing it, I didn't like it because he would take the cash that he pulled from the machine and go buy the product. And I didn't like that. Because that's not a, a true way of understanding your your PLs for the year. You want to keep those things separate. So you know, it, it, I saw areas of opportunity, which even made me more so want to get it from him. You know what? I love what you're saying right now because it's one of those things where like you found how to add value to a business to make it profitable, right? You a lot of people go, well, it's so saturated, or it's already it's already like done. Like, like well, what can I do to make this better? Even with short term rentals, right? Like, there's certain places where you're like, I can't open a unit here because it's so saturated, and like I'm not gonna make any money. Well, no, if you know what you're doing and you know how to add the value to it, you're gonna do good, right? And that's what you did. You you took this guy's business, which was successful, but you figured out ways to and th systems and processes to implement to make it even better, right? Which leads me to the question: What's 
what's something that you've actually implemented outside like of the, from what he was doing yeah absolutely i mean the the first thing i did immediately was add the devices of pay range right because being that i did not know you know how these machines are selling what's selling i had to be able to identify that immediately um and 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 i didn't do that very very first day because i didn't realize that i needed it until i got tired of having to go so i would have to go to the machine right take the money out see okay that sold that sold that empty that empty well shoot what was in the lane I didn't remember what was in the lane, right? So to make sure I didn't like put something that wasn't there, because again, I want you to keep buying in this lane. So I had to figure out a way of getting that done because I, I started guessing, okay, maybe it was, you know, Lay's chips or something like that when it was actually the barbecue flavor and not the regular flavor. So that was kind of one of the first things that I did. And that helped me not only track, but it also helped me um, identify which product sells better or faster than the other. So I would say that's one of the things that I added. Um, another thing was I tested products, um, you know, and, and that's just what you have to do. Um, when I realized certain things weren't selling, I just I started buying stuff that he never bought, you know. Um, and at first, when I started buying things, this is another thing you don't want to do is you don't want to put things that you like. That's that's the worst thing you can do, because that's what I did. Like the first week, <laughs> I was like, oh, man, I love these Oreo cookies. Blast, you know, uh, uh, apple pies. Yum. Like, you know, these are the things that I, I love Skittles. Right. And so I, I kind of loaded it with stuff that I, you know, because I'm in the store and I know what I like because I know what I see. So that was the first thing that caught my attention when I'm in the store. I'm like, OK, I'll get this. Um, and then, yeah, I realized very, very quickly that that's not the case. You have to just try a bunch of random things, see what works, and then expand on that. Yeah, you know, uh, you brought something up there. A lot of times people think, and I talk about this with the short-term rental side, it's not about you at the end of the day. No. You're putting something together. It has nothing to do with you. It's all about serving your customer who's coming in, whether that customer is a vending machine or a client or a guest that's staying in your place. It has nothing to do with you. Everything needs to be based around the customer. Because at the end of the day, what I like and what you like and what everybody else likes, it's completely different. So as long as you center what you're doing, the thoughts, the inspiration behind that other person, whoever that may be, and you got to test it, right? You got you to do market research. You got to do that on your own. You got to figure out. And I love how you talk about demographic. You put in a vending machine in with a bunch of dudes that are working. You know, what are those dudes going to buy? You know what I mean? If that's a Hispanic space, you know, Mexicans are going to buy. I'm, I'm speaking for myself. Yeah, you know, hot stuff. You sell a burrito in there and some hot Cheetos, bro. It's done. You know done. what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Cheez-Its, bro. The first thing that came in mind was like, Gee, I love Cheez-Its, man. Yeah. And you know what's so funny? One of my location kills on Cheez-Its and the other one dies on Cheez-Its. So what I do, right, in this example, so I would move my Cheez-Its out of the machine that it didn't do well, like in a two-week time frame. And I would put it in my other machine just so that it doesn't spoil or it doesn't go bad. Um, because that's another thing, too. They, the, the locations will let you know. Hey, you have stale products. Or, you know, hey, this thing, you know, they're going to call and complain. This machine ate my money. It's not taking coins. Um, and, uh, yeah, so they'll let you know very quickly if it's something that happens. 
I want to keep the conversation going and I want to ask you another question about like damage and maintenance and repair, right? Like do anybody, anybody, like you ever had anybody vandalize your location? Like where, you know, when I was a kid, I used to like stick my hand up to the bottom and try to like steal the bags and stuff like that. Like stick the hangers, you know, like you ever get that still, or is it like the machines are just so good that they don't allow it anymore? So I bought used machines, right? Let's call it what it were. Um, he'd had these machines for 10 plus years and typically the shelf life of a machine is about 25 to 30. Um, excuse me, but I bought used machines and yeah, that's not bad at all. Right. Thinking of your ROI, if you have a $1,200 transaction or a purchase and it lasts you two decades, it's going to automatically pay for itself just in depreciation alone. Right. Um, But, but yeah, so when I bought the machines, there were a couple of issues that we had to quickly get over. Um, One of my machines, the, the, the compressor went out. um, So I had to learn very quickly how to fix a machine. Um, Shout out to YouTube. Um, you know, and, and, and part of my purchase, because I was still new and because I was going into a space that I was not fully comfortable and, and knowledgeable in, I kept this guy on retainer. So he was like a consultant for a six month period while I was navigating through this space. Right. Um, and that was one of the, the things that, that I, I put into the agreement, right. When, when, when we sent over our offer was that I needed you to, you know, be around because again, I was so fresh. Um, but yeah, no, things happen. Um, damage happens. Um, that's why you want to, you know, get good insurance. Um, and, um, you know, it's just one of those things where the locations that I have, luckily I don't have any in like high schools or anything like that. So I don't have to worry about kids, you know, tearing my machines up. Um, the majority of our locations are, you know, in either establishments, um, that are like, you know, warehouses, retirement homes, hotels, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so I don't have to worry too much about damage, but it's there and it can happen. And, you know, for me, if something can happen, it's damn sure going to happen. So you just have to, you know, protect yourself against that. Man, Mark, this is such a good conversation, dude. Like I I want, I wish it wouldn't end in an hour. We got 15 minutes left here and, and, and I'm sorry if we're boring you with the vending machine questions because I know no, you have too much else going listen. on. I know you've been doing wholesaling forever, but like I want to keep yeah. asking questions. Like this is really good. I love, I love talking it. about it. I, this is actually the first platform that I've ever had to actually even explain our vending company and you know the journey through vending alone. So I appreciate you even uh, putting that to the forefront. But yeah, yeah, man. No, I, I'm really hoping that whoever listens to this goes, "Hey, this is a very like doable business that I can start off myself to start my entrepreneurship journey." Right? Like this is probably going to help a lot of people out there who are thinking like, "Hey." I can't start a business because I don't have a lot of money saved. Fam, if you're listening to this, $1,200 to $3,000 will get you a business started as a little side income. Know the key points that we've talked about in the episode, right? Implement these little tips that you've been given and go out and find a location, which leads me to the question that I wanted, I've been wanting to ask you. What's the hardest part of this business? In short-term rentals for arbitrage is getting a landlord to say yes to you, right? To get you to use their property for short-term rentals, right? Is, is is that similar to, because the similarities are crazy here, and, and, and with vending machines, is it finding locations the hardest or is it finding the actual machine the hardest? No, finding the location is the hardest, right? Because you you can find machines, you know, pretty much anywhere, right? Um, a lot of the repair shops have refurbished machines that they sell, so that's not going to be a problem finding. And that's an easy Google search. I think the location is the hardest because there's so many different avenues, right? Um, some of the best performing ones are obviously your hotels, right? Um, your laundromats. Really, you have to think about, okay, what do I want? If I'm someone going to a vending machine, where am I and what am I doing that g- leads me to this vending machine, right? Usually, I have to wait on something, 
right? So I'm standing in a location, I'm at a location and I have 30 minutes or whatever and boom, there's a, you know, there's a vending machine. Let me go get a snack. Do you remember when, I don't know if you guys have ever been in a hospital, like the emergency room, there's typically a vending machine in the emergency room, right? Um, and that's because you have to sit and you have to wait. So it's a convenience, right? It's a service that we're providing. So part of the, the when you're when you're trying to find a location, you want to find a location that one has high traffic volume or a high number of employees, and there is an opportunity where people wait. So if it's high traffic, they have to be there for a period of time. So like you mentioned the mall, right? People are at the mall for hours and hours on end if they're shopping with their family or what have you. Even though there's a food court, you may not necessarily want to go to one of the food courts to get like the cup with the lid and all of that stuff. It might be cheaper, but if you get a bottle, you can easily close it. You can tuck it in your pocket. You can you hit the road with it, right? So it's a convenience thing. Um, and so the hardest thing to answer your question is finding the locations. And one of those things is identifying what location you want to start in. Um, you could start laundromats. It's pretty easy. You can start like auto body shops. Um, you know, people wait. You can start barbershops. You can start hair salons. These are places where people have to sit and wait. Um, you know, hotels are great, but they're a lot harder to get into. Um, and then you want to make sure that, you know, when you're pitching a location that you're just pitching the, the, the adding of value. Like here's what having a vending machine does for your customers, right? We're not coming in where, Hey, we'll pay you to place our machine, right? Because that obviously takes out of my profit. I'm here to tell you that if you get a machine, you can actually add value to your clients. They're going to love you because you're providing a service for them um, and a convenience factor for them. And that's where the value lies. And it costs you nothing, right? We just need to obviously map out, you know, where you're going to put it. And that's another thing too. Um, when it comes to, you know, vending machines, don't buy the machine first, right? You want to go to the location first because a lot of times where they're going to put your machine, it may not fit the machine you already have. Right. It might be a smaller place. It might be, you know, out of the area. It might be in the back dungeon in the basement somewhere, which that's what you don't want to have happen. Um, you want your machines to be super visible as soon as they enter the door or wherever they have to sit and wait. They can see it from every single seat. And I mean, literally, you map it out, you know, eye level view and all that stuff. Um, and you want to be able to, to, to do it for free. Right. Um, I do have one location that I pay a yearly, you know, it's like one hundred and fifty bucks. Um, but that actually came with that location when I bought it. So that was one of the locations that, um, came with a, with a fee, which I'm, I'm cool with. It's like 12, 12 bucks, 10 bucks a month. Um, I'm okay with that. Cause you know, we do succeed, you know, we do a lot of volume and a lot of a business at that location. So I'm okay with doing that, but you never want to leave with that. 120 bucks a year to have a spot, right? Is, is that like an average actually? Like, is that like a, so no, it's not an average. I, I actually lucked out. Um, typically, typically. Your locations, they think they just know about the business and they usually ask for like a 10%, which is outrageous, right? Um, if you want to do anything, I would stay away from personally, right? This is me personally. I would stay away from a, a percentage of sales. Um, and that may or may not hurt you depending on how your business model is, right? But for me personally, I stay away from a percentage. I want a flat fee because I'm, I'm, I'm a big in that, uh, you know, I'm an analytical person. I like numbers. 
I want to have a fixed number that I can then, you know, look at my annuals and look at my revenue and look at stuff that I can actually calculate, okay, this is a fixed cost for me. A lot of times in business, you want fixed costs. You don't want anything that's going to fluctuate up or down. Um, but for somebody else, you know, it might work out better because, you know, they'll pay less on the slow months and they'll pay higher and it may, you know, average out. But just for me personally, I like fixed costs. Um, so I would say a good, a good number is about one to 3% if you're going to go the percentage route, um, or you do a fixed cost of like 10 to 20 bucks a month. I mean, got it. Yeah. My, my, my next question was going to be, how does that conversation look and like, how do you negotiate it? But I mean, it's, it's, you know, pretty self-explanatory. You have the conversation one to 3% on a fixed cost, not on a percentage base. Correct. Correct. And always lead with value. Do not bring up any, any percentage cost. Do not bring up paying them to have the location. The goal is to get it for free. Dude, I love that. Yeah. I absolutely that you're saying that because in any business, when you lead with value and you lead with solving problems for someone else or helping other people, it will always be successful. And this included, right? Absolutely. Don't start with, hey, I can make you 20 bucks a month. Nobody cares. Like, it's 20 bucks a month, fam. I don't like, but if you bring value to the people who are there and you explain to them and they're like, hey, man, listen, your people are going to be here waiting while you fix this vehicle, right? Yeah. If they're sitting down, there's an empty wall. They look over and they peek. Maybe they're thirsty. Do you have? Are you providing water for them? Well, I can solve that problem, right? What if they're craving jalapeno chips? I mean, I see jalapeno chips, man. I jump. I go and grab them. Anywhere I see them, I buy them, right? I love these things. So let me ask you another question then. We're, we're on the top of the hour here, and we want to transition to our, our next segment. And um, we might have to bring you on for the wholesaling next episode, for another episode, man, because this was awesome Listen, about vending machines. But I what do you think of ice and water vending machines? I love the idea of coming back. Um, and if you guys have me, I'm, yeah. um, I'd be more happy. But um, as ice and water vending machines, so obviously in front of every gas station, there's an ice vending machine, right? That's the big box. They have bags of ice and they sell it, right? It's super cheap to make ice, right? So your rate of return is going to be phenomenal, right? Because during the summertime, mostly during the summertime, people need ice. Um, I personally... Don't I'm not getting into it because I kind of like my lane um, and I'm one of those people where I don't get distracted by the shiny object syndrome. Right. Because There's a lot of new businesses, a lot of this, a lot of that, even in real estate space. Like there's so many different ways to get in real estate. I kind of, you know, stay in my lane. Um, I think it's a good business um, as with any other cash flowing type of passive business. Um, but it just has to be the right location in the right area. You don't want to have, you know, an ice vending machine. Uh, where there's a gas station right across the street because they could just easily go over there and 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 do it. You know what I mean? If you want to, and it's it's when I think of it, think of a liquor store, right? So you don't want to have a liquor store and there's one right across the street, or there's one within half a mile, or one that's going to be prior to them going to their neighborhood. They have to pass both of yours, right? So you always want to be the the innovator, I like to say, um, a, in your area. So if you're wanting to have an ice machine. Just make sure that there is nowhere else close vicinity that people can get ice from and go for it. Yeah, I've, I've actually been doing a lot of research lately into them because I've been trying to get into them. I, they're a little bit more expensive than than I think regular vending machines because I think the cost of them was like 15 grand or something. Um, and so I don't know. I, I just wanted your thoughts on it. But no, man, I appreciate well, it. Well, 15 grand, right? So let's let's break it down real quick, right? If we have time. Can we do it? 
Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so 15 grand, right? So that's like what a grand a month almost, right? To, 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 to get your money back. If you want your money back in a 12 month time frame, Um, and then you look at, okay, do I have to buy the bags of ice on a monthly basis? Is there a minimum purchase order? Right. Cause with some vending machines, like if you, you can go to Coca-Cola right now and you can say, Hey, I want a vending machine in my location. They will give you that vending machine free, but they will also make sure that you purchase X number of Coke products per month. And whether you sell it or not, you still have to buy those, right? So it's kind of like you have to figure out, okay, do I have to continuously buy this ice? You know, how much traffic am I getting? How many bags of ice can this $15,000 machine hold, right? What's my increased cost of electricity that I have to pay for? So you got to have to kind of figure that out. And so let's say if, it, if you're at 1000 1200 a month and your machine holds 50 bags of ice, right? You do the math, you're at what, 60 bags, right? Or 60... What's my math? Hold on. 60 bags <laughs> for, for one, but you have to make, so you have just have to calculate, okay, how much I'm going to sell a bag for? How many am I going to run through a month period? What's my rate of return that way? So I don't know. Cause you know, you, I don't live in a hot climate year round. We're in Georgia. We have four seasons in a day. Right. So, you know, it's not always hot. Like right now, I think it's about 40 degrees out there. Your ice is not going to sell you know, that often, but you are in California, you guys are hot all the time. So, you know, it's like, Every day you could sell, you could sell that. So it's not a bad, it's not a bad model. I mean, I'll go. The $15,000 one actually was, you have to have it plugged into water because it made the ice there. Like it was one of those that made the water and. Okay. So like the restaurant grade types. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So so, so then does the customer scoop their own ice? Like how does that work? Yeah. So it had a little, like, I guess you can sell the little bags and then they fill up the bag with ice. Okay. And they would pull the bag and fill it up. Um, Or they can, they can roll up with their, like their um, cooler. Fill the, cooler. fill the cooler yeah and then they you know be on their way got it i um, like that i think that's why it was more expensive though because i i've seen the ones you're talking about where you just put, fill the ice but i think these would be awesome because they're a little bit more automated so it, literally you pull up with your gallon fill it up fill up your cooler out the door so what i would look into that and this is just me thinking out loud i want to know what's the volume of that that bucket that that's making the ice right so if it's let's say i don't know 100 cubic feet Right. Okay. How many bags can that produce or how many coolers can that fill? And then what's the length of time it takes to replenish? Because let's say I empty that cooler. How long is it going to take before I can refill to then provide ice to my customers? Because what you don't want to have happen is they come in and you're out of ice. You know what I'm saying? So you got to have to kind of figure that out. How long is it going to take? And then see, you know, if it makes sense. Now, because 15,000, to be honest, is not really that bad of an investment. Right. Um, not to jump in there, but I could always compare everything to what I can do in short-term rentals. And 15 grand yeah. in short-term rentals, I can I know exactly what I can get out of it and how long it'll take me to get that back. So that's kind of my comparison. But it, and then and again, you know, it's it's like kind of like like you were saying, you want to kind of stick to the lanes that you know. I'm trying to diversify my investment portfolio at this time. So I'm, that's why I'm looking at the location. So yeah, I know what 15 grand does in short-term rentals, but I also want to know what 15 grand does in different locations. It's why I bought those, I just bought five cars, and it's why I'm getting into the into the car rental space. It's why I want to start doing different stuff. So listen, let's, let's go into, uh, we, we ask two questions, every single guest that comes onto the show, being that the show is called the big break. We want to know, and it doesn't, whatever it is, what was your big break in life? It doesn't have to be the, like in anything that this, where that one thing that happened that you clicked and you're like, wow, this is what got me into the, the path of life where I'm at now, or this is what got me into being an entrepreneur or, um, it could be somebody who mentored you. It could be just maybe you won the lottery. I don't know, whatever it is, right? What was your big break in life is, is what I'm trying to get at. That's a good question, right? Um, 
and I haven't really thought about it, but I think what where my mind goes to now is that first wholesale check, right? That that first proof of concept. Hey, this thing actually works. Like this, I could do this, right? Um, and I think for a lot of people, it's it's that 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 confidence booster, right? That lets you know what you're doing makes sense and you can actually do this. So I think for me, because I was whole, I was you know researching, I was putting up bandit signs for months at a time, not getting anything, and then finally, you know, I found uh you know somebody reached out to me through my bandit sign, and I was able to get a deal on a contract. Um, and then when I went to the closing table and actually picked up that first check, it was like an aha moment for me. And I'm like, man, this is amazing. Like, I would love to be doing this full time. And that's really what started my my full real estate journey, because, you know, even though I'm not a quitter. Right. So I would have probably continued right until. But for a lot of people out there, if you're watching, you know, you may be in something right now and you're probably not seeing any success yet or you're you're in something and maybe you've seen a little success but it's just not to where you think it was going to be like my advice to you would be just keep at it right keep going um especially if it's something that you enjoy doing don't quit on yourself don't give up you're going to you're going to hear a lot of people saying man you've been doing this for so long and you haven't done this that and the third well that's none of their business right because they don't have the vision that God gave you right so they can't see what you see you know what i'm saying so I would say for me, my big break was the proof of concept that I could actually wholesale a property. And, you know, I've been doing it ever since. That's pretty badass, man. That is awesome. Yeah. All it takes is that one critical moment for something to change for you just to be like, shit, I can actually do this. And all the work that you put in at that moment, it all just kind of full circle, boom, you're there. You know what I mean? 100%. Awesome. And I'm not even the biggest wholesaler in Atlanta. Like there are people that are crushing it, not just in Georgia, but in other cities. Um, you, you know what I'm saying? But again, I don't see anybody as competition. Like I'm big on collaboration over competition. And I feel like if we all can come together, we can all go further as one unit and not just keep bumping heads against each other. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just how I approach life and pretty much everything that I do. So. That's awesome, Mark, man. Hey, listen, we have a second question that we ask, um, and it's give the listeners, you know, an actionable step towards something so that the moment they turn this episode off and they go, man, I really like this. Uh, Normally we ask about to give an actionable step about anything, whether it's a mindset thing or like a like a a business thing or entrepreneurial thing. But, you know, I want to I want you to maybe touch on what's the next best step if someone wants to talk about, Hey, I want to start a vending machine. And you listen again, don't, you don't have to stick to that route, but since we've talked about it for so long, I kind of, and now if you want to give maybe two tips, one about vending machines and one about something else, I'd appreciate that as well. But what's, what's an actionable step that you can give the listeners right now where they go, all right, I'm done. This is an awesome episode. What do I do next? Yeah, absolutely. And, And I'll give two, right? Um, so the first one, we'll stick to the topic, which is vending machines. I would say, If you're really interested about getting into vending machines, the first thing you want to do is look at your backyard, right? It's the easiest place. You know it. You're familiar with it, right? You're there. Go to these locations like laundromats. Remember, think. Think high traffic. Think high volume. Think large employees, right? Find those locations. Go to Google. Google their addresses. Call them, right? Call them and say, hey, you know, I own a vending machine company. If you do or you don't. 
And are you guys, do you guys have a vending machine on your location? Would you be interested in having a vending machine? And then just see where that goes. That alone will get you over a significant hump that a lot of people can't get over. It's taking that first step. That action, you know, you, you hear a lot, right? Um, you know, take action, take action, take action. But it is literally taking action. Like, I don't care how small it is. Even typing in vending machines, you know, uh, Charlotte, South Carolina, that's an action, right? And so you just want to, you don't want to be afraid. You don't want to move in. I mean, you want to move in fear, but you don't want to be afraid of taking action. So I would just say for that, for vending machine, do that. Um, the next tip um, I would give is, you know, I, I'm going to keep it mindset, right? Um, you know, just please stop listening to other people who have not done what you want to do. Like literally, please, I beg you, don't do it, Right. If you want to, <laughs> if you want to really do something and you're passionate about it, the only people you should be listening to are people that are either in that space or have done it because they will give you real-time examples, real-time experience. They will be able to answer you or point you in directions, steer you away from mistakes that they may have made. But listening to somebody who hasn't done it, I, I mean, okay, cool, positive vibes. Yes, they, you know. Go, go Rafa, get into Turo. You, you can knock it out. That's okay. But when you try to tell me, oh, I don't know about, you know, what about accidents? Like, do you own a car rental company? Have you rented any cars to anybody? If not, then I appreciate it, but no thank you, right? That would that be my, my next tip. Just really, really focus. Well, dude, that's where you got to get rid of those people. You got to get them out. Yeah. Because all they're going to do is put negativity into you. And I think a lot of times we get stuck and they're like, oh, man, this is my family. You know, this is what they do. This is how they are. Like, I'll tell you, my family, when I was getting into short-term rentals, man, they were like, you're fucking crazy. Who the hell's going to want to rent a place here? And why are you going to do that? That's stupid. You're going to be losing your money. And I'm just like, you got to sometimes shut those people out and you have to do what you're going to do. Because people aren't going to think the same way you do, especially coming from the background that, you know, probably Rafa has a similar background. Hispanic culture is like very safe. We got to play things on a, sim a simple, a simple thing. We don't take risks. They're very small and they're limited. You want to make sure you stay in that sphere. And, um, you know, I think this is something that's not talked about enough where if you have people that are bringing negativity to you in any sense, especially as you're getting into something like that, you got to go to them. You got to sit down and be like, I'm going to start doing something. You guys might not like it or you do, but I need you to back me up. Do you still want to be friends? Because I need you to do this until I accomplish what I'm going to doing. If you if you decide to back out of this, then we're not going to be friends anymore until I finish what I'm going to do. You know what I mean? Like, so at the end of the day, it comes back to that. So I'm glad you brought that up, man. Because that's something that you know, people around you really steer your direction. Everybody always has an opinion about something, man. And the people that are scared of to do something more are than anybody else are the ones with the strongest opinions. A hundred percent. Hundred percent. You know, their their opinions are based out of their fears. And so I just I just don't allow people's fears to be Im imposed on me, um, you know, because, again, I'm, I'm fearless. Right. Even with fear, I still move forward um, in fear. And so that's one thing that separates me. And you're right, uh, Jesse, about, you know, the your, your circle, like my circle is super tight. You know, my circle is super tight and I'm, and I'm a very private person as well. Um, this is probably the very first time that anyone is going to see my operation, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I always have a background when I'm on Zoom calls with my team or if I'm doing a, a call with somebody, you know, I don't let them in. Um, and so, you know, it's just one of those things where you just have to keep your circle small because 
like like Rafa said, you know, people are opinionated and I just I can't have your opinions reflect negatively on what I want to do because it you it can change depending on who it's coming from, especially like a spouse or or family member or somebody like that. You might actually believe what they're saying. And so, yeah, you just have to make sure to stand your ground and, uh, you know, again, only speak to the people that are in the business that you're trying to get to. So self-education or, you know, paid education, which I'm a big fan of. I've done it. Um, and I will continue to do it. Um, part of my goals for 2022 is to get at least four short-term rentals this year. So we're going to do one a quarter. Um, and so you know, I'm going to pay people, you know, I- I've paid for courses already. So I'm already kind of there. Funding's already there. So, you know, it's just one of those things where you just want to kind of, you know, make sure your circle is is, is tight. Awesome. I agree, man. So what's what's next for you, Mark? Where, where can people find you? If somebody if this resonates for somebody like what's your social sites, how, how can somebody get a hold of you? So again, I'm private, right? So I'm not really on social media. I really am only on Instagram um, and I'm at Dowden.invest on IG, which I, I put down there. Um, I am. Uh, I mean, you can email me uh, Mark, M-A-R-C dot Andre at Dowdeninvestments.com. Um, and, uh, you know, it's M-A-R-C dot A-N-D-R-E at Dowden Investments. I'm, I'm sure you guys can put it in the show notes. Um, but yeah, you could email me, um, send me a note on IG. My, my account on IG is still private. So you're going to have to request, or if you can send me a message, uh, that's not going to change anytime soon. Um, but I'm pretty accessible and I'm an open book, right? I, you know, we have a training program right now, just launched it, uh, January 2nd. Um, and, uh, we're teaching people how to wholesale from start to finish. So I'm super excited about that. People actually trusted me <laughs> and, and a colleague of mine, um, to, to, to train them and they paid us for it. And, you know, it was an idea that was brought to me. I wouldn't be the one to do it. Cause I'm like, I'll just tell you for free. Cause at the end of the day, we, all three of us, we can tell people anything at any time and we can give them the game and we can open our books and we can show them, but guess what? They still have to take action. So yep. no matter what we tell them, no matter what they sh- what they see or what they learn, they still have to go out there and do the work. And so that's that kind of separates a lot of people um, because they just don't have the time. You know, Mark, you said something and it brought back an old memory of mine. Right. When I started short term rentals, I, I did. I paid for a, a series of videos. It was like six hundred bucks. I, people that know me know my story. Um, I don't talk about it much, much here, but the same dude, um, he's now giving those videos away for free. And I, I've spoken with him at a conference once and I go, he made a joke. He's like, sorry, Rafa, you know, but these videos are for free. And I go, that, I'm, I was, I'm, I got mad and I'm like, I'm not mad that you're now giving away the videos for free when I have to pay for them. I'm mad that now that you're giving them away for free, people won't take that information seriously and apply it when it's a cost out of pocket and something that actually affects you. Right. If you have to go and spend, let's say a thousand bucks. Odds are you're going to put that stuff into in, in that information that you learned and implement it. If you get it for free, it's going to be like, oh, it's going to go in your head. You're going to go, oh, cool, and then move on because it didn't cost you anything. There was no actual like her yep. uh, pain feeling like Jesse always says, right? Those What was it you say, Jesse, the, those emotional times that Sorry. you remember, right? And, yeah, and yeah. spending money is an emotional thing for a lot of people. It is. It's very emotional. And if, if somebody goes, hey, it's going to cost you like if, – if I say, hey, guys, I'm going to start teaching short-term rentals. It's going to cost you three grand each. That's an emotional decision that people have to make. Here's three grand. But I'll tell you what, they will take what I tell them and they're going to more likely apply it than if I go, hey, I'll teach you for free and you're going to waste five hours of my time and you're going to go home and do nothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
hundred percent, a hundred percent. That's why those free coffees and stuff like that, that people always, Hey, let me take you out and da, 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 da. Yeah. Okay. I know you're just going to do that and you're not really going to take that seriously. So, um, you know, and I learned that too, because I've had people reach out super gung ho about learning how to wholesale. We had a couple conversations and then they just died away and died out. So, you know, it's just one of those things where I, you know, you get, you got to value your time and people who pay for it, you know, obviously they're paying for your time and they take you a lot more seriously. Way more serious. Well, Mark, what's the, what's the goals before we close this out? What's your goals for 2022, man? If you want to, you said four short-term rentals in the next year, is there any other four, goals? Four short-term rentals, uh, already acquired funding for it, got my round of business credit, um, which I had to pay for as well. Um, and so, you know, um, yeah, so we're going to, we're going to move. So right now we're the process of looking. Um, so today, and what's so funny, I love about my wholesaling business is that because I have a team of callers, I can literally put together any campaign that I want to, and they'll call it. All I need to do is just type up a new script and they'll be able to call it. So I did that with our vending machines. Um, and I'm going to do that with the short-term rental. Cause we're going to do arbitrage, your method, and, um, we'll, you know, get a list of apartment complexes and, and, uh, stuff like that and, uh, be able to have them start doing the initial calling and, and getting that together. So that's, that's part of it. Um, as far as the wholesaling business and vending business, we want to grow. Um, so I, I'm, I'm looking to double what we did last year. Last year was our biggest year ever for the company. So we want to just expound and continue the momentum and do that, which we've already started with a bang this year. Um, I have, you know, two big closings coming up, um, and with the vending business. So one thing about the vending business that we're going to do is I'm going to, instead of buying new machines and putting them in new locations, we are going to relocate some of our lower performing machines. Um, and so it's an easier process. I don't have to spend any additional money, right. Except for like moving. Right. Um, and then whatever loss of income from the time I cut it off at that one location to the time it, it goes. And then obviously the curve of, of sales and stuff like that. But, um, I like to go deep instead of going wide. So we're going to deepen our existing machines in our locations and bring those up to speed. And then when I bring those up to speed, then we're going to look at taking on new locations. So that's kind of what we have on the docket for, um, for this year. That's awesome, man. It, you know, gosh darn it. I want to keep talking. Cause you said something around that. I'm like, Hey, you know what? It's funny. All these thoughts always come into my head, but no, nah, man, listen, I, I appreciate you for being here. This was an awesome conversation. Again, I'm sorry like that we took the entire hour on vending machines because it was so good. I really hope that people are like, man, I want to go open a vending machine business. I really appreciate you for being here, man. So for everybody listening, um, thank you. This was an awesome episode. Um, all of Mark's info will be in the show notes. If you're watching on YouTube and you like it, please subscribe. It does help. Um, we want to reach as many people as possible. Um, if you didn't like it, sorry, you know, like it anyway. Don't like it. We love you for, for, for sticking through it the entire hour. So, Mark, thank you, man. And uh, with that, we'll see you next Thanks, time. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it, bro. My pleasure, man. Y'all have a good one.